we as humans live in this world and uh, sometimes life is pretty frustrating. We run into a lot of challenges and a lot of irritations uh, as we go through life. Oh, that is, that is a friend right there. Thank you, buddy. Hallelujah. Lord, just bless Zach and his full quiver. Um, bless every one of them kids. Um, well, the reason why we run into stuff is because, uh, newsflash, we do not live in heaven right now. Even though that I am in heaven, I am clothed in Christ, I'm seated at the right hand of the Father, well, we're still walking, we're still occupying this world with an enemy. We've got an enemy that, uh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We've got this enemy. Um, he is a condemned enemy. He is a judged enemy, but he is still active. And because the power of the cross has stripped the enemy of all power. Did you hear that? The, the cross stripped the devil of all of his power. Um, so all the, that he has to do now in order to, to get done the stuff that he needs to get done is try to manipulate other people into doing his work for him. You can think of the enemy like uh, one of those old skeezy mob bosses that get arrested and thrown in the slammer. Like he's in jail. And so the only way that he can uh, get messages out to the, the underworld of the crime lord is to be slipping uh, information out of his cell and try to convince other people of the power that he has over them. You better do this or I'm going to send somebody to mess you up. I'm going to break your kneecaps. Uh, I'm going to give you time to swim with the fishies. Is it Luca something swims with the fishes? Whatever. Um, he is like this mob boss that is in jail, but he is trying to manipulate all this information to try to get you to talk you into doing his work for him because he's in jail and he can't do that. Well, the way he does that is he uses lies to manipulate the way that you see the world. Sometimes he will tell you bold-faced lies, things that have no basis in reality, but more often than not, he will tell you something. He will take information that you um, take in. He will take a situation and he'll twist it just a little bit. He'll put a paint, a veneer on top of it of suspicion of what if. You know, so even when someone says hi to you, there's that, are you lying to me? Hey, we love you. Are you sure? He will twist and manipulate that information, not to lie, but in order for you to come up and uh, draw a wrong conclusion. Or if you draw the right conclusion, he will try to manipulate you into overreacting to legitimate circumstances. I know that you guys have never overreacted to anything, but sometimes I will overreact to, uh, to a drawn uh, conclusion. The enemy tries to, to tint um, the information that we receive because he is putting tendrils down into you to warp your worldview. And after he has placed those lies deep enough, those lies start producing fruit. Just the same way when the word gets in our hearts and starts producing fruit, when that lie gets in your heart, it starts producing fruit. Well, the fruit of a lie is that the devil can take a vacation from you. He no longer has to worry about you because after a certain amount of time, you will start manipulating your own information and draw your own conclusions. And so the, the devil, Satan, thrown from heaven, Lucifer, can stand next to you and go, wow. That's a very creative lie. I would have never come up with something that creative because we come up with the weirdest things sometimes. You know, and knowing that that's the framework of the, of the world that the Lord has placed us in, it seems to be good reasoning to uh, stay connected to the truth. 
Like if we, if we are swimming in an ocean of lies and misconceptions, it is on our shoulders to make sure that we stay connected uh, to the truth. You know, as humans, we, uh, our ability to use logic and reason usually only works in hindsight. It's usually only after something's blown up in our face that we go, maybe, maybe there was a different way to handle that. And so someone can come up to you at the beginning and tell you the information that you need. It's like, I'm going to save your life. If you will just not say this to your wife, your life will be amazing. And then we will say that, not we, you will say that, and the world falls apart. And you think, as guys, we spend most of our life going, I didn't expect that reaction from you on that. In hindsight, I know what I should have said. And so we, uh, since our reason and logic doesn't really work well, looking forward, but we use reason and logic for everything else to try to figure out things about God and figure out spiritual truth. Well, I think the Lord's going to do this. I think if I do this, then this is going to be the result. But, you know, with at least the guys in the room, some of the, the ladies might be a little bit better at this, but in the guys in the room, usually it's only after we have passed something do we start thinking maybe something should have been different. Like we can't wait until the end of our life to start going, maybe there was something to this whole Jesus thing. Like we can't show up in heaven and go, hmm, I should have made a different decision on that. So it is important, knowing that that is the situation that we find ourselves, it's important uh, for the church to realize one of its callings is to combat those lies. Does that make sense? The enemy is like spewing out all of these lies and misinformation. Well, it is our job to stand in the middle of that and protect people from lies and misinformation. It is our job to rise up and protect ourselves from listening to those lies and uh, manipulations. Now, when I say the church, I don't mean the staff because the staff is not the church. This is your calling to get a hold of your friends, to get a hold of your family members and speak truth when the enemy is speaking lies. Now, if we're not really careful right here, we will jump to a, another wrong conclusion. And instead of battling lies with uh, truth, we will battle lies with facts. And it sounds like the right thing to do. If I, if I listen to a, a lie, the most appropriate thing to do is to say, well, that's not true. That is wrong. That is a lie. You're listening to the enemy. And if we battle lies with facts, what we get into is an argument. And I'm sure that very few of you have ever experienced an argument. But they are not the most effective ways to communicate um, that someone needs to change their way of thinking. Um, you guys might have had a lot more success in arguing than I have. But usually what happens with an argument or a strong discussion is that either one side will give in, they'll bow down and just say, whatever you say. I'm tired of fighting, whatever. They will give up, or if that person doesn't give up, you get two people that lock horns. And very rarely does someone go, you know, I never thought of it like that. Thank you for letting me know why I was wrong. Usually you get two people that lock horns and nobody budges. And people leave that argument more emboldened of the reasons why they were right to begin with. Like, just watch a political debate. No one shows up to a political debate and go, huh, I never thought about that. Everybody goes, you're wrong and you smell funny and your mom dresses you weird and your hair is dumb. Like we will come up with all the reasons why we're already right. And so when we try to fight the lie with facts, we devolve into an argument. And that's not what we're uh, to do. We are not in the business of arguing. Um, we are in the business of 
defending people, defending our own hearts, defending the lost and dying world with the truth. Not facts, with the truth. And the truth is always and ever a person. The truth is not just the best worldview that we can come up with. The truth is not the best I can think about. The truth is a person. And when we see someone that is being worked over by the enemy's lies, it is very rarely um, effective for us to go in and go, hey, you, you realize you're wrong, right? Well, I've compiled a list of all the reasons why you're wrong. Here's all the things that you do that irritate me. If you can just get to work on this, that'd be fantastic. You guys might have success in that, but I've never had success in doing that. I have never had success in standing in front of the enemy and going, uh-uh, what, no, that's not true. But I'll tell you where success is. Success is grabbing hold of one of your family members or one of your friends that is falling apart and going, hey, let me introduce you to somebody. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Success looks like looking at your own life and instead of listing out all the different reasons why you're failing at life, introduce yourself to Jesus. And I, I promise you, uh, things started uh, changing up pretty quickly. Um, when I was a kid, I was talking to my mom about this this week. When I was a kid, I remember taking swimming lessons at Noah's Ark Daycare. And uh, this is, I was such an impressive kid. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am. I am an impressive kid. I showed up one day, and I knew that mom had to work, and so she wasn't going to be able to see me at my uh, swimming lesson. I mean, I was three, like three or four. Um, the or imagination uh, when it comes to kids and lying is just astounding. Um, I knew that she wasn't going to be able to see me, so I told my teacher that I forgot my uh, swimming trunks at home, and I wasn't going to be able to go to swim lessons because mom wasn't going to be there, and I'd, I guess I would rather have colored um, then go to swimming lessons. Well, like about 10, 15 minutes after swimming lessons started, mom comes in the front door and it's like, ah, oh, busted. Crap. Um, so mom comes up to me and it's like, hey, buddy, you know, why, why weren't you at uh, your swimming lesson? And I was like, I lied. I told him that I wasn't able to go to swimming lessons because I didn't have my swim trunks and I did have my swimming trunks. And, you know, it was like Chunk in the Goonies. It's like I just confessed all this stuff out. Um, and then she said something that was incredibly profound. Like, and mom is full of profound things. Um, she was like, buddy, I always come to your swim lessons. Like, she would take off her lunch break and come to swimming lessons. But because my perspective was a little bit smaller than it is now, I didn't notice her. And so I thought that she wasn't there. I want, like, just want to point out some of the reasons why mom is amazing. She came to me. I had a problem. I believed a lie that my mom wasn't going to be able to see me. And that lie went deep enough so that it changed my actions. I altered my actions because I was believing a lie. And mom didn't show up with a notarized affidavit proving that she was at the pool. She didn't go, look, if you'll refer to the log of the pool and see that I have signed in every time, if you'll refer to my boss saying that, you know, she has taken off work so many days. Nope. She came to where I was, got down on my level. She didn't put me on a ladder. She got down on my level and said, I've always been there. She had a face-to-face -face encounter with me and reminded me of the relationship that I had with her. That's what fixed the lie. Not a sworn affidavit telling me all the stuff that, uh, that she was doing right. Um, and so for years, generations, we have compiled a list of information and believed a lie about God. 
We believe that he wasn't showing up to our swimming pools, that he wasn't there, that he was this absentee landlord. Or a lot of uh, people will look at the Old Testament and go, see, he is a bloodthirsty dictator. He is lacking in mercy. Even though that when you go through the Old Testament, you don't see that God. Whoa, whoa. I had a technological malfunction, sorry. Even when you go through the Old Testament, we don't see that God. We see a God that's full of mercy and full of compassion. And at every turn, he is rescuing his people out of a pit. But we come up with this idea that he was this merciless dictator. Um, and that idea and that mindset was so prevalent that John, when he wrote the gospel, like decades after Jesus' resurrection, had to point it out again. So uh, John 1.17, this verse is in your bulletin. It will be on the screen, but I don't have it in front of me, so... I'm going to turn to it and allow you time to turn to it if you would like. You don't have to. But if you would like to take a Bible out of the pew in front of you and turn to John 1, which is about that way through the book. So uh, John 1.17, this is John in his prologue. Let me put it up there for you. Um... Verse 17, it says, the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is God himself is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. See, we walk around believing these lies about God. We believe that he's bloodthirsty dictator, or he's this absentee landlord, doesn't care about us, and we create this lie, this uh, misconception of we think we know who God is. But I will promise you, unless you view every one of God's actions in the Bible before and after the cross through the lens of Jesus, you have a distorted view of the Father. Because Jesus is the only being in the universe that has the ability to introduce us to the Father the right way. Because he's the only one that is close enough to the Father to actually know how, who he is. And so there's a lot of the times that we will go through, um, you know, one of the kids were talking about it uh, last week. We will go through like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we will sit here and go, well, I think that God is loving. He says that he's loving, but mass genocide does not seem to be very loving. And I know that very few of us vocalize that. We just say, yep, well, God's love looks different than our love. Sometimes God love, God's love looks like genocide. And we have these things that go off in our minds and the enemy uses information and twists things around to try to portray God as this evil dictator. And you know what? There's a ton of stuff in the Old Testament and New Testament that I don't have a clue why God did what he did. But one of the ways that I stay connected with truth, not being a fact, not being a list of doctrines, not being a belief system, but staying with the person of Jesus, the person of truth, say, God, I don't really understand why you did X, Y, or Z, but I'm going to choose to look at you through the lens of Jesus. And Jesus, I don't see that. Like when the disciples showed up to Jesus and were like, hey, Jesus, these people irritated us into the town. Like, shall we call fire from heaven and consume them? Jesus' first response is, of course not. Why would you get that idea? It's like, well, we read a story that you did that before. Jesus tells Peter um, to go buy swords. And then when he's getting arrested, Peter uses a sword and Jesus gets on to him. He's like, why would you use a sword? It's like, you told us to go get swords. Why are you getting on to me for using it when you told us to go get swords? And so at every turn, Jesus is going, you don't understand me. 
you don't understand me. When he showed up on the scene, you had the group of Pharisees that believed that God was this out of control hall monitor that cared more about the rules than he did his own kids. And so Jesus spent a few decades walking around on earth, flying in the face, I am not an out of control hall monitor. Stop obsessing about your rules. Or on the flip side, they believed that he was an absentee landlord. And so they took advantage of people because they thought that there was no responsibility. There's no repercussions for our actions. And so Jesus went around for 30-something years going, you don't understand me. Let me introduce you to my father. Let me introduce you to my father. Time and time again, the disciples would say, but God, we don't, or but Jesus, we don't know the father. And he said, yeah, you do. If you've ever seen me, you've seen the father because I look just like him. I look just like my dad. When we see Jesus, we see the father, we see God. And so not Abraham, not Moses, not David had a relationship with the father that I get to have because of Jesus. Adam and Eve before the fall even had a warped view of God compared to the way we see the father now. Because they saw the father before Jesus. We see the father after Jesus. No religious leader, no guru, no self-help instructor, no like deep interpersonal experience of revelation that you have out in the middle of the forest can clue you in to what my father is like, except Jesus. And so that's why we see Jesus say, hey, the only way to the father is through me. That's not because Jesus is mad at the Buddhists. That's not because Jesus is bad um, at every other religion in the world. He's not saying it's either my way or the highway just because I'm a kid that likes my toys and if you want to play with me, you have to play by my way. No, he says that I am the only way to the Father because nobody else knows the Father except Jesus. And so if I try to get to the Father by figuring out by listening to the lies of the enemy and constructing the best worldview I can get of the Father, I'm going to miss it. And I don't get to experience the amazing Jesus. If I go to the Father through Buddha, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss how amazing Jesus is because I didn't go to the Father through Jesus. And even now, if I go through Judaism, I miss it. Jesus is the only way to the Father because he's the only one that knows. He's the only one that is close enough in relationship to the Father. See, the power of the gospel is that he has brought us as close to the Father as he is himself. That's what's amazing about the gospel is that no longer do I have this secondhand relationship with God. I'm not listening to God via a king. I'm not listening to God via a prophet or a priest. I'm not listening to God via an apostle, pastor, deacon, anybody. I come close to the Father because Jesus himself put on skin, came down on my level, and just like my mom did, did not give me a list of rules, a signed affidavit of facts. He came and had a face-to-face -face encounter with me and reminded me of the relationship that I had with him because he knew that if he gave me a list of facts, the second that those facts didn't feel true, I would abandon those facts for something else. Yeah, <laughs> So like, what happens when it doesn't feel true? Because even though that I am closer to the Father than anybody in history has ever been, like Jesus himself is not any closer to the Father than I am. We share perfect unity. I rarely feel like that. And I'm a pastor at a church. 
I rarely feel that close to the Father. So what do we do when what we read is true doesn't feel true? The same thing we do, stay connected to Jesus. Because if we have a list of rules, if we have this like dogma of you better follow this, if you just sign your name at the bottom of this belief statement, you're fine. The second that that doesn't feel true, we abandon it and we look for something else. And we see that all the time. When people don't have a relationship with Jesus and they have just an agreement of rules and, and regulations, it is easy to abandon that. But when you build a relationship, a friendship, a lifelong partner with Jesus, when you run away, when you feel like this isn't true, I'm done with church, I'm done with this, I'm tired of dealing with the people, I'm tired of that carpet color, I'm tired of this, that I didn't get treated right, all the different valid reasons that we have to get fed up with our brothers and sisters, when we bounce, there's nowhere for us to run because we've developed a relationship with Jesus and he's always with us. So we'll sit in a movie and see Jesus in a movie. We will hear Jesus in a song. Jesus will show up to us in our dreams. We can't get away from him because he is always there to have a face-to-face encounter with us. He will use your friends and family to have a face-to-face encounter with you. Um, You will hear some preacher on TV say something. You will like hear a worship song and it's like Jesus is right there reminding me of the relationship that I had with him. And you don't get that from a list of beliefs. You don't get that by, by copying our belief statement off of the internet. You only get that by having a relationship with Jesus. Well, practically, how does that live out? Like, you know, big build up, like, I gotta stay connected with Jesus, friendship with Jesus. Well, how do I do that? That's a fantastic question. That is a fantastic question. I don't have like seven theological principles for you to establish a relationship with Jesus. I don't have like the five totally theological transforming truths that will break you out of your pit of poverty and into a firm relationship with Jesus. I don't have that because that's not how relationships work. Relationships are slow, they are messy, they are complicated, they are confusing. Just when you think someone that you're in a relationship with will do one thing, they will turn around and do something completely different. Well, I promise you that Jesus is no different. Every time that you think that you've got him nailed down, he will flip the script on you and start doing something that you did not expect. Just read how the apostles that were walking around with an earthly Jesus dealt with him. Every time that they thought he was going to do something, he would do the exact opposite. So they were saving face in front of everybody. It's like, oh, right, Jesus. And then they would get together with him. Hey, so about this like drinking blood thing. I don't, I don't get it. And then Peter one time, I love this. Peter was talking to Jesus about uh, communion, what we now know as communion. And he said, you understand that you say hard things, right? He was like, yeah, I, I get that I say hard things. Well, Jesus is no less complicated now. But you know what? It's worth it. That messy relationship is harder than just obeying a set of rules. It requires more of us, but I promise you, there is a fulfillment in relationship that you don't get by just becoming a member. You stay connected to Jesus. And when your life seems to be falling apart, you just hold on to him. God, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. There was a time that um, when I was in high school that one of my friends was dying of cancer. And I knew for a fact that God was going to heal her. Like it never even crossed my mind that she could possibly die. And she died and I went to her funeral. And me and Jesus had a, uh, 
We had a long, drawn-out conversation over that. Jesus, you said that I can pray for sick people and they recover. I didn't dream that up. I didn't go get that on my own. This was your idea. You told me to do this. And that you told me that this was going to be the outcome of obedience. And you dropped the ball on me, Jesus. Like, it got a whole lot worse than that. But at some point in time, I had to go, even though that I feel like this, even though that I feel lied to, even though that I feel like you dropped the ball on me, I know from your character that you're not like that. I know that you don't lie. I know that you don't drop the ball on me because you've never dropped the ball on me. So I may not understand what's going on right now, but I'm gonna hang out with you and you're gonna get me through this confusion. And there's gonna be tons of times that you're gonna walk through life and you're gonna have no idea why Jesus does what he does. But I promise you, if you will abandon your need to know, if you will abandon your need to be right, and you establish a relationship with Jesus, he will bring you through to the end. Because facts and information, a set of belief, a set of doctrine will shoot you off in one direction. But life is very rarely one direction thing. Like if anybody has gone from birth to their ultimate goal in life in one easy process, please come talk to me and we'll write a book. But my life looks like one change, one course correction after another. And if all you have is a set of doctrines that you're going in one direction, you will fly your plane to the side of a mountain or you'll drive your car off a cliff. But when you're friends with Jesus, he will grab that steering wheel and it's like, hey, let's go left. But you told me to go straight. I know, but let's go left right here. Let's go right right here. Let's swerve around this mountain so you don't wreck your life. Um, And I know that there's a lot of us that are sitting here today and it's like, well, it's great that you're telling me to be friends with Jesus, but I don't know if you've realized it or not, but he's invisible. Like, and one of the most amazing things that Ben Crace ever told me is he knows that he's invisible. It's like, he does. Oh, I thought that I was just clueless and that I was the only one that thought that this was weird, that this relationship with this invisible silent partner was, was weird. No, he realizes it's, he's invisible. He knows it's complicated. He knows that it's awkward having a conversation with someone that's not there. Like we lock other people up for that. But when we do it, it's called faith, (laughs) right? He knows, he knows that it's strange. The flip side, a lot of us are scared to invite him into our weirdness. Like we know that some of you are weird. Nobody has a clue exactly how weird we actually are. Like if we just opened the curtain, mom knows how weird I am. If we opened the curtain and let other people see what's really going on in our hearts and minds, we would never make another friend as long as we live. (laughs) But I promise you, Jesus loves being invited to messy houses. You know those friends that you clean up for and then those friends that you don't clean up for? Jesus loves to be invited to messy houses. He loves being invited to awkward family dinners. He loves being invited into the room when a family member has just had a fight. Like when you, can anyone else feel that when you walk into a room where two people have just fought and it's like, the air seems thick. What just happened? Like when you find out, it's like, oh, someone's arguing. I'm going to go this direction. No, Jesus is like, please invite me into the weirdest, most strange, dynamic parts of your life. He loves it. Jesus loves being hope to hopeless people. He loves being friendly to the most unfriendly person that you could imagine. 
And so we are prime candidates for the love of God because we're messy. I don't care how, clean, how well you clean up your life, we are messy. Messy, messy, messy. If you don't know that you're messy, just hang out with some friends and say, hey, do I do anything weird? You are messy, messy. We are strange. We are not loving to a lot of people. And Jesus loves being in our lives with us. You know, a lot of you are kind of going through stuff, a bunch of junk, and it's like, God, I don't understand how you are going to save this. I don't know how you are going to fix this. And you know what? I don't either. Like when you come up for prayer, I promise you, very rarely do the people up here go, oh, well, you should do this. If you just do A, B, and C, it'll fix your mess. Most of the time when you come up for prayer and it's like, I'm dealing with this, we sit there and go, wow, that seems stressful. I'm glad I'm not going through that. I'll pray for you. You know, all of us are just as clueless as anybody else, but Jesus is not. And Jesus will rarely offer you a list of solutions. What he offers is friendship. And so we say, Jesus, get me out of my hole. And he says, let's watch some TV. It's like, nope, I don't want to watch TV. I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to talk to you. I want you to get me out of this mess. Yeah, let's hang out in the mess. Let's develop relationship in the middle of this mess. No, fix it, Jesus. Fix it right now. God, I am like, my finger is hurting. I need you to heal it right now. No, let's, let's hang out. Let's talk about your finger hurting. No, I don't want to talk about my finger hurting. Fix it, Jesus. And we do that. Like, we are, like Jesus is our magic wand that we just like, do it. Miracle go. Like, go, go gadget. Grow out a leg. And Jesus isn't like that. He would much rather just hang out with us. And we will notice as we start looking around, it's like, Jesus, you just cleaned up the room and I didn't even notice it. Yep. Not that he is Mary Poppins at all. Don't, don't make that. But we will look around and all of a sudden, the room's clean. And I had a great time doing it. It's like, fantastic. All right, so if you could, um, Zach, if you go ahead and come on up. I know that we're ending on a very, very spiritual note on this with us laughing about Mary Poppins. Yes, or uh, I love to laugh. Loud and long and free. Love to laugh. Some people laugh through their noses. I'm glad everybody went with me on that one. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if you ever get a hold of the kingdom that's not righteousness, peace, or joy, open up another door. Well, Father, we, uh, we want to come to you today, um, and we just want to invite you into our weirdness. We want to invite you into our mess. We want to invite you into the house that uh, the dishes haven't been done in a week, that no one has a clue what is growing in the refrigerator. It used to be food a month ago, but who knows what it is now. God, we invite you into our failed marriages, that we have no idea how to get up out of this mess. And we've read a hundred books and everybody else seems to know the answer to get out of their mess. But God, it's hard for us to get out of our mess. Lord, we want to invite you into the family that we don't know how to get along with our kids. That we want to take the truths found in the word of God and just beat the stupidity out of somebody. God, we want to invite you into our loveless behaviors. God, we want to invite you into our judgmental eyes, the hatred that's in our heart towards people. We want to invite you into our unforgiveness, Jesus. 
We want to invite you into our funerals. We want to invite you into the, into the part of the home that is our job to clean. Jesus, you stop messing things up. You leave me to, to bring order into this. Father, we just want to give up acting like we know what we're doing. We want to give up acting like we've got everything together. And just say, Father, we need you. Dad, we need you to come down and have a face-to-face encounter with us and remind us of the relationship that we have with you because we've forgotten about it. Oh, Jesus, I've forgotten how good you are to me. God, I pray that you would remind us, Lord. We come against the lie of the enemy that says that you're an absentee landlord, that you don't care about what's going on in our lives. We come against the lie of the enemy that you are an out-of-control hall monitor that's ready to zap us just like Zeus. You've got a lightning bolt in your hand and you're ready to fry somebody. That is not what we see in Jesus. We see Jesus loving the loveless. We see Jesus opening the eyes of the blind, raising the dead, freeing the captives. And so Jesus, we wanna invite you to every area of our life that does not look like the kingdom of God. We say that uh, we, we just obey your decree and say we pray like you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. Yeah, figure out some way to introduce yourselves to us. Because you're amazing at it. And we bless you. In Jesus' name. Those that are helping us pray this morning, if you could go ahead and come up. Go ahead and stand up as we uh, continue in worship. We're going to give you an opportunity today. If the Lord's moving on your heart, that you've got something going on, if you feel that you're, if you're uh, vividly experiencing your life falling apart, we want to pray for you. We don't want to give you answers. We, we don't want to tell you the nine reasons on why you need to get out of your mess. We want to be a friend to you. We want to hold your hand. We want to hold your shoulder as you go through the mess that you're going through. And I promise you, there is, uh, we know a guy, there is a friend that has the ability to fix every bad medical diagnosis. We have a friend that is able to fix every failed marriage, every kid that's acting like an idiot. We have a friend that can alter the fabric of reality in order to fix your situation. We don't have that power, but we want to introduce you to him this morning. So as we sing a couple of songs, go ahead and come up. If you have any sickness in your body, if you've got uh, kids that are strung out, go ahead and let us pray for you.